roots. They can be really important. And if you're a plant, you know that. Uh, I shared with you all the other day the story about my, what happened to my basil, right? It, it had uh, just kind of uh, roots, but it wasn't really deeply rooted. So when I went out and watered it one day, I, uh, I, I, it was in a concrete pot and was growing really well and it was really thriving until it was uprooted by a satanic squirrel who figured out that when you water the basil in a concrete pot, it gets nice and cool. And on a hundred and about five degree day, that squirrel figured that out. And I went out there and he was sitting in the dirt with his arms out like that, looking like he was at some kind of a resort. Well, whatever kind of a resort it was, they're not having any any pizza anymore because all the basil's gone out of that pot. Roots matter, and whether it's a squirrel that digs a plant up and kills it because its roots are no longer where they belong and they're killed by the exposure, or whether it's a, a tree, we'll look at one here in a minute, that's blown over in a storm, most of those problems will come down in some way or another to the health of its roots, won't it? If you want a healthy plant, healthy tree, you've got to have a healthy root system. And if you really want to treat a diseased tree, you don't spray stuff on the trunk. You work on it through its roots you, because it's a, a matter of nutrients and things like that. So that's what we're going to kind of look at from the spiritual point of view. And here's why it matters. Look at this tree. You may have seen trees like this yourself out in the wild. I, when I was a young ministry student, I interned a couple of summers up at uh, Canadian, Texas. And if, if you've ever been to Canadian, Texas or up northeast of Pampa, then you know it's kind of windy. I don't know if you noticed that when you've been up there, but it's a little windy. And you come across trees that look like this. I remember driving past a section of somebody's ranch that, was, that came up to the highway, and they had a whole stand of trees that were just like this, just all blown. You could tell which way the wind blew the most out there on the plains. And, and they grow like this. This, in some ways, you might look at that and say, oh, that's a really bad tree. It's an unhealthy tree. That's a shame. No. Only healthy trees get to look like this. Trees with deep roots that withstand strong winds that hit at them over and over and over and over again and constantly. And they actually are shaped by their circumstances, but they're not dominated by their circumstances. I think you can see where the really easy sermon illustration is right there, right? As Christians, I'm going to go ahead and spell it out anyway. As Christians, we need to be people who are so deeply rooted and with such healthy spiritual roots that no matter how many times, no matter how consistently, no matter how strongly, the winds of immorality or silly, I'm going to just say silliness, because a lot of times it's just silliness, or our own pride, whatever it is, whatever Satan just keeps hammering you with, you'll be able to withstand it. And that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is what are, the, what are the ways in which we can be rooted so that no matter what Satan throws at us, for no matter how long, like this tree, we are able, by faith, to stand almost in defiance of all of those forces. That's Ephesians chapter 6, which, oddly enough, is not on my outline anywhere. But, you know, in Ephesians 6, when he talks about the whole armor of God, one of the things he says at, at the very end of that little section is, so that when you have done everything, you will be able to stand like this tree, a testament to the depth and strength and power of good, strong roots in defiance of whatever Satan or the wind 
might throw at you. So that's that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. I've lived in places where this is what happened instead. So when we lived in, in Russia, we were in Russia in 95 to 97. And um, when we lived there, you know, they get a lot of snow. I don't know if you knew that, but they get a lot of <laughs> they get a lot of snow. And I've lived in a couple of places where you get a lot of snow. And when you do, you actually end up, of course, with lots of really good vegetation. And it's beautiful and it's green. And when spring comes around, everything just explodes. You know, not all Russia is not year round what you see on TV in the spring and in the summer. It is absolutely beautiful. And it's a forested country, incredible national parks. Well, in our town, we had a windy day. And it was a day where we felt like we were back in Lubbock. They don't have where we live. They don't have many days where it's windy like it is in Lubbock. And it's a good thing in some ways, kind of bad at others. You see, if a tree never encounters enough wind, it actually isn't driven to sink those those roots as deeply. There is a, a genetic trigger for, for trees that when they are encountered by those winds to get deeper roots and different agitation. Some people shake their potted plants just to see if it'll encourage stronger roots and better root system. That kind of stuff can have an effect. Well, when trees don't have to do that because they get so much snow and then so much rain and the soil is very rich, they don't have to work as hard in order to be really deeply rooted. And then they're not. Same thing was true uh, in New York. Same, same, same thing. Lots of rain, good rich soil, blah, blah, blah. Trees grow like weeds. Big, tall trees just grow like weeds. But they don't have always a very deeply rooted system. So when ice storms come, this happens. When, when a tornado, which is rare but does happen, when that comes, this happens. And when strong winds, as if you were just a normal day in Canadian, this happens. And it can be bad. Every single time ice storms came, uh, it seemed like, Sarah, I don't know if it was the same 60,000 people or what, but every time uh, Saratoga Springs, New York, 60,000 homes without electricity because of wind and, and, and ice storm. And it just seems like it was always the case. It's because they, those trees just do not have to put really deep roots most of the time, and so they don't. I think that's an easy sermon illustration, too. I think you see where I'm going there. A lot of us uh, complain a lot that it seems like just as a country and as a society, as a people, and in the church as well, we've had it relatively easy. We've grown soft. We live lives that any other era of the world and in most of the world in this era uh, would look at and say looks like pure luxury. And we get soft. And in that softness and in that lack of persecution most of the time, uh, and in truth, I know some people feel persecuted now, but you got no clue because real persecution is not getting angry and you're lazy boy at a TV that's talking to you. It's, it's like real prisons, deaths, beheadings, things like that. We've, we are so soft that our roots just naturally, it's not that you did anything wrong, that we did anything wrong, that I did anything wrong, just it is what it is. Our roots can tend to be a bit shallow if we're not careful. And then hard things come, and what happens? We just we crumble under the hardship. This is why James tells us that we have trials of many kinds and why we should consider it pure joy. Because in those moments, God is producing in us 
deeper roots. He's growing our faith. He's growing our strength. He's growing our rootedness so that whatever may come that we don't see even further down the line, that may be even harder and maybe even more important in the bigger picture, we will be ready to withstand that storm. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. The first of these, because you, you just you don't want to be this guy. Can you imagine if every time, and in some ways it does happen this way, if every time we had a spiritual failing because our roots were shallow, we just literally fell over like fainting goats? Can you imagine? That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? I don't know but what, from God's point of view, that's not exactly what it looks like. A bunch of fainting goats. Satan brings out his umbrella, he pops it at us, and we go, and fall over. I think that's probably... What from God's view it might look like. Aren't, I should have brought video. If you haven't seen those, Google it. But later, later. The first important thing we need, and I've got, I got three because, you know, plants have to have nutrients, sunlight, and water. So I thought, so do we. Here's our, our sunlight, our plants, and our, our sunlight, our plants. Our sunlight, our nutrients, and our water. The first is Jesus himself. This has to be number one. The most fundamental is Christ Himself, And I had you turn to Colossians 2. You thought I wasn't going to read it, but we really are. Verses 6 and 7 comes from the ESV. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our strength, our wisdom, our ability to withstand the things that will happen, your children's ability to withstand what you are raising them to be able to handle, all has to be rooted in Christ Himself. His nature, His being, that He is the Son of God. His, his love for you and compassion for you, that He is the one who, who brings and provides for, through His own self-sacrifice, grace and mercy. It is in Christ Everything that that you will face, everything that your child will face, that your grandchild will face. How that will happen depends on this. What is their relationship with Jesus Christ? And so Paul writes to this church and he tells them, listen, you received Christ. You believed in him. You repented. You were baptized into Christ. You did all of that. But you've got to keep walking one step in front of the other in the right direction. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. You walk in Christ. It's a living, ongoing, forever relationship that never ends. And only when that's the case do those roots grow deeply. If you, uh, for example, I'm going to go back to my basil. If you had, had planted basil back in May and you watered it in May and you haven't looked at it again because you watered it in May, maybe you have the belief that gardening is like being Baptist and once watered, always watered. I, I love Baptist, so don't, don't think that's a cut. It's not a cut. But you just think I watered it once, so I'm done. What does your basil look like today? <laughs> she looks genuinely worried. <laughs> your poor basil. It would be dead, wouldn't it? What about you? If you believed on a day, and you confessed on a day, and you were baptized on a day, 
And that day was it. That was, and then you never gave Jesus another thought. Spiritually speaking, what can be expected of the fruit of that relationship? About like a shriveled up basil, right? Because it takes ongoing sustenance, ongoing watering, ongoing sunlight. It takes a relationship, in this case, with Christ. Not just the beginning of a relationship with Christ. Look at the words he uses. Obviously, there's our theme word, verse 7, uh, that you are rooted. Roots are not just stagnant little appendages of a plant. They do things. Okay, they are soaking up the water. They are soaking up the nutrients. They are actually their mechanisms that are fighting off bacterial things and fungus and all of that. They have a job to do. Not just they're not just holders in place. You know how all this works. They're taking in what they need to take in so that the plant can put out what it needs to put out. Another easy sermon illustration, right? When your roots are in Christ, that's when you're able to produce what you're supposed to produce. There's no way you can expect an unrooted, uprooted, dead-rooted plant to produce. It can't happen. It has to be a living and active relationship. In that case, with the soil and the nutrients and the water and all of that. In our case, with Jesus Christ. That's why he uses this word. You're rooted. You're held firmly. You're nurtured. By your roots. He also uses other words. He says you're built up, continually growing, getting stronger every day, like that tree we saw at the very beginning. So that when the wind comes, you handle it. Why? Because you are established. Good roots, solid foundation, firmly standing, able to withstand whatever happens. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were thought, taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And a little bonus lesson there from Paul, isn't it? And be thankful. He says that a lot, doesn't he? He'll give you a little quick sermon. And he says, and by the way, you should be thankful. Be grateful. I'll just throw that in there because apparently Paul thought that was important, right? One of my favorite passages is John 15 and talking about uh, the relationship we have as we grow in Christ. It's it's not this necessarily a uh, just a soft passage. It's one that challenges me. Uh, maybe it challenges you too. And I'm going to start in verse 5. That'll be up there on the screen. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You see how easy that was? It's like, was he reading Colossians? No. He helped write Colossians. It's Jesus. What does he say again? Look at that again, verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. You want to grow? You want to produce what God has created you to produce? You want to produce good children? You want to help your kids produce great-grandchildren? That's great-grandchildren, but also great-grandchildren. You want to do all of that? Here's how you do that. You produce that fruit by being in Christ. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, I lost my spot. If, any, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love, have I loved you. Abide in my love. And look at what he says is really going to help us. It is in a complete dependent relationship on Jesus Christ. That he is the one who gives us our life, our nutrients, our wisdom, our strength, our productivity. All of that comes through our abiding, living in Jesus Christ himself. Then he goes on and says, As the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. So abide in my love. It's not a matter of Jesus threatening us. He tells what the consequences are, but he's just saying this is the nature of things. If you've ever, he's talking about great plants, if you've ever grown grapes, you know this is right. It's not complicated. He's just saying this is the way it is. If you cease to draw nutrients from the vine, those branches die. I pledged I would never live in a house again uh, where we had a whole bunch of hedges I don't know if any of you just really love trimming hedges. I don't like trimming hedges. I don't mind it so much, um, except that it gets very expensive until they came out with these battery trimmers. Battery trimmers are awesome, and I still have mine, even though I have no more hedges. Um, but I have that because I used to go through so many extension cords. I mean, literally, I would go through all the extension cords. And I wasn't, I wasn't very aware of where I was slinging that thing, and I would just get at it. I, I was a pretty aggressive trimmer. And when we lived in New York, you had to do this stuff like every couple of weeks. Every couple of weeks you're trimming them because they're like, they've grown two feet. And from all that snow water and soil I was telling you about. And so it was just a constant, and I kept cutting through my cords and kept th- cutting through my cords. We were here before uh, I was able to get a cordless one. And it, it, it drove me a little bit nuts. But you had to do it. You had to. The hardest part to deal with, the most hassle, was dealing with those branches that had died. The living ones were easier to deal with. But the ones that had died, I mean, they're tough. They're hard to get through. They're dried out. I mean, because why? Because they've gone from being a branch to being wood. I mean, they were wood to begin with, but you get my point. Wood hardens when it dies. So do we. If you find yourself in a place where your heart is completely hardened, you find yourself that way because you need what Jesus would give you, but you're not getting it. And so he tells us this, not as a a thread. He tells us this because he's just saying, if this is the state of your being, this is the truth. He says, so any good gardener is going to come in and trim that off, and then it's done. But what was his overall message? Don't, 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 don't let that happen. Abide in me. Abide in my love. Let Jesus be your life. Let him lead you. Let his spirit live within you. Let the spirit nurture you and nourish you and give you what you need so that you flourish and thrive and produce and bring glory to God. That's our choices. And we have total choice there in which it is. Those choices are, are very much real. And so Jesus himself reminds us of how important it is to remember 
where we're we're rooted and whom we are rooted. The second is this, and is it plays into those those first two passages too, is how much truth matters. Let's uh, let's read this. This is actually in that same passage in Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the wholeness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. I mentioned earlier, we have all of these things that are going on, and we can see stuff that's ongoing, and we can see stuff that's down the pike, uh, that we're... Right now, we still live very easy life, but where it will not always be true. It's the cycle of spiritual warfare. It is the cycle of the human condition. We're told about it in Scripture many times. We shouldn't be shocked when it happens, and we should be prepared when it happens. And that preparation is spiritual. That preparation is the strength of our roots, the strength of our spirit, the strength of our understanding. And so Paul speaks to the same Colossians we read earlier in the same paragraph, basically, and says, see to it that no one takes you captive through uh, philosophy and empty deceit. Do you think, and this is just almost a silly rhetorical question, do you think that this is a concern for the modern church in 2023? Do you think we need to be concerned about our kids or us getting sucked into philosophy and empty deceit? Well, if you're awake, which you may not be, and I apologize, but if you're awake, then you know that this is a problem. And it doesn't even matter, you know, what part of a a spectrum we're talking about. There are moral issues, and they are not, let me just tell you, they are not right versus left. This is right, as in correct and wise and from God, versus wrong. And the wrong is thoroughly bipartisan, tripartisan, whatever partisan you create, it will be there. Just this morning, I get up, I read the news. I don't know why I did that. I know better. But I read the news a little bit. And all the headlines were this person's failings, this person's failings, this person's failings, this person's failings. And every single one of those person, you know, it was it was Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. You know why? Well, you're going to say, well, because they're human. Yes. But do you know why else? This. And the sad thing is half those people claim to believe this. They claim to believe in God, but their life doesn't look that way. Do you think that only happens in Washington and Austin? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. All of us have to be careful. Because any of us can be sucked in to really silly ideas and philosophy. Some of them come out and and, and they're obvious what they are, and some of them come at you and and you can see because it, it just blatantly contradicts with what God has revealed as his will for our lives. You know, God says this is right, and they say it's wrong. They, God says this is wrong, and they say it's right. And we were told that would happen over and over again, and it does. We were also told to be ready to stand for what's right, no matter how many times it cycles back around. So whether it is 
empty, vain philosophies, which will always put humanity at the center of things, won't they? I'm the God of my own destiny, that kind of thing. Whether it is just complete moral collapse or whether it's just people telling lies, he says, just don't. I mean, it's just that simple. You don't go there. It's not right. See to it that no one takes you captive. And the thing is, Satan is tricky. He will try to tell you that the only way to love as Jesus loved is to believe in this philosophy or that philosophy or this immorality or that immorality. He knows what he's doing. The question is, do we? Paul says you need to be alert because this battle is real. Wake up. Do not get sucked in. How do you do that? How do you avoid getting sucked in? You know the will of God. You've got to know the Word of God. We've got to be a people that open up our Bibles, that read our Bibles, that meditate on the Word of God. We've got to be people with a heart that is willing to yield to God. I believe you're the one who establishes truth. I believe you're the one who has established the order of mankind and and what a family is and what love is and what what truth is and and all of those things. What is a church? God is the one who establishes that. Christ is the one who rules over that. And he roots it yet again after saying that in what? In Jesus himself. If Jesus didn't do it, that should raise alarm bells. If Jesus didn't teach it, that should raise alarm bells. If what he handed down through the apostles contradicts it, that should raise your alarm bells. Because God's word and the will of Christ is the truth. And that's what settles it. Now, not our opinions on it. That's different. But his word is the truth. And so he says, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He's the one with the final say. And he's the one with the final say about what makes you a healthy, whole, productive tree, to go back to our illustration. He's the one who who set all of that in order and then shows us how it works. And that's why it is. He's not just picking random things to say, don't do that. He's letting you understand this is what will help you thrive versus this is what will suck the life right out of you. Okay? If you don't know, if you're not sure, okay, how do I get there? James 1. I love this passage. This is, this is, this is Christianity for dummies, which means it's my book. That's why it's named for me. Or the other way around, he's going to need this Christianity for dummies book called James. All right? If any one of you lacks wisdom, me, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. If he's the one who established the order, if he's the one who defines truth, if he's the one who has all rule and power and authority through Jesus Christ, that's where I would go, isn't it? If I want to know what pleases God, go to God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all. I love that. Who gives generously to all without reproach. The NIV says without finding fault. I love that because there are times when, yes, I should know the answer and I don't. And the word right here says, that's okay. We'll go over this again. 
You know, it's like studying Spanish. We'll go over this again. Okay. He gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Is that a good promise? He's not going to think you're stupid for having to ask. He said so. Instead, he's going to bless you with the answer. That's a good promise. Let him ask in faith, verse 6, with with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and un- a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Again, he's just stating facts. If I hear the truth from God and I find it in his word, or he blesses me with the answer, convicts me by his spirit, and then I go, well, but I just don't know. Which, I've been there, done that. You've been there, done that. He says, well, you shouldn't expect anything then. Why? Because he's, now he's put out with us? No. Because I cannot benefit from the truth I will not live. I can't reap fruit from a crop I won't tend to. You see, it just it gave me the wisdom. Now I actually have to implement it if I want to see the results that he promises. So let yourself be rooted in the truth. I really loved, we went several years ago to, it was on my bucket list, to go to the, see the sequoias. At Yosemite. Still need to get up to Northern California and see the Redwoods. Haven't done that yet. But one of the things that fascinates me about the Redwoods is they're even taller than the Sequoias, which is hard to imagine when you're standing there at Yosemite, especially when you're raised in San Angelo and trees. We call things like this trees, right? They're only this tall. And it's shrubs. They're just astounding. And this picture is it's not very good, but it was the best I could find. The more astounding thing to me is that the redwood trees have their roots intertwined with one another. The forest, the trees support each other. Quite literally, physically, as a structure, those trees, their life is so intertwined that they are each other's support. That would be uh, number four, Preacher Easy 101 illustrations, right? Us too. God calls us to be people whose lives intertwine. Not just so that there's a neat little social thing going on, but so that when the hard times come, we support one another. To try to take down one tree when Satan tries that is to try to take down every tree, and every tree is there rallying in support, praying for, encouraging, strengthening, building one another up in love. Our roots need to be with one another. We need to grow together in a Christian community where we can support one another and strengthen one another. and Sometimes call each other back and say, hey, you know, that's, that's not wise, and I'm not judging you, I'm not condemning you, but I want to help you maybe find a wiser way to do that. We need people like that in our lives. We talked about that Wednesday night in our class. We need people who love us enough to speak up and support us and, and help us through things, and that's not judging, that's loving. This picture is uh, maybe my favorite of all of these. I don't know if y'all, y'all may be familiar with this. I wish you could see it just a little bit better. It's a whole lot of yellow, I understand. It's aspen trees. And this is a, a grove in Utah. And what is its name? It's like Pad, Pang, Pando, Pando, I think. Uh, this is, it looks like a forest of many, many aspen trees. And I, in a way it is, and in a way it's not. If you've ever heard of this, this is all one tree. All of this. This is all one single tree. And there are 47,000 of what we would look at 
not knowing that, and say trees. 47,000 trunks that all come up from the same tree and produced a forest. 47,000. Do we even have that here? I know we don't even have that many. 47,000. And they're all really one tree. And I don't know a better image of what the body of Christ is meant to be in Christ. We are all one tree in Christ. One root system together. Where Christ keeps popping up looking like a full mature tree. This is the, the, the vision that Christ has for you. That each of you will grow up and look for all the world like another Christ has grown up over here. Another disciple has grown up over here. There's another man, another woman who bears the name Christ and looks like Jesus and lives like Jesus and carries the, the fruitfulness of Jesus. And it doesn't happen because they just are a good imitation or an offshoot over here. They literally happen because they are a part of Christ. One, one body, one tree, one forest, 47,000 outcroppings of Jesus coming up through the dirt. That's his vision of what a church ought to be, that we are so one with Christ and so united with Christ and united with one another that our roots are quite literally one and the same, even more so than with the redwoods. And at a whole other level than that. I want to read John 17. This is his prayer. And you probably know these words. They're for you. I do not ask for these only, talking about the disciples, the apostles, but I also, or but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you gave, or me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. His prayer for us is that we would be, like that grove of trees, one. That the world will look at that and, and have the same kind of awe when they see you that I have when I look at that picture at God's creativity and just the amazing nature of these trees, this tree, this single living organism. They call this the biggest single living organism on the planet. And if, and if it goes, they all go. But Christ doesn't go. Christ lives. They tried to get rid of him. It didn't work. And continually, new images of Christ pop up from the dirt and he wants us to be so one with him that the world looks at that and says that is incredible how would that ever even work your love for one another our love for one another should be so great that it astounds the world around us I go how does that even work but it works they have a love they have a joy they have a servant's heart they have a care for one another they stand for what's right even when Man, the whole world throws things at them. What an amazing 
testimony. And it works, you know. The whole book of Acts is built on the fact it works. It's just a reporting of how it looks and how it acts and how it how it produces. It's happened before. We know it can happen again. Let's pray together.